Welcome back. You're with Radio Veritas. Thank you for being with us. It's 25 minutes past four. Wherever you are, drive safely. God bless you in your home and in your family as we come to the end of another lovely winter's day. Uh, yes, during these programs now, we're working our way down through the commandments that God has given us. And these are fundamental uh, principles of life with God. And we've come now to the third commandment. You'll remember, of course, having come out of Egypt, the people are at Sinai, and God calls Moses to the mountain, and there God gives him the Ten Commandments. And we have looked at the first and second commandment, and now today we look at the third commandment. Don't say it's not interesting. It is very interesting. It says, keep holy the Lord's day. And you know, uh, the Lord's Day, the Sunday, um, is something, I think, under attack in our society. It is almost merged into the rest of the week. You know, in the older days, it was a day when everything stopped, when people gathered together and met each other, relaxed, played games, but above all, prayed and worshipped. People gathered from all over the rural areas, met in the church. They hadn't met for a whole week. This was the day in which they became a, a community. This is, and it's amazing when you look back over 2,000 years of history of celebrating the Sunday Mass, the Sunday Eucharist, the Sunday Word of God together, what it has done for socialization, how it has brought the world and people together, formed communities. It is a day for God, but it is a day for humanity. It is a day for community. And so it is something very important. And the fact that Sunday, you know, uh, in the old days when Sunday was a family day, you know, it was a tremendous bond. It brought people of the family together around the table or uh, meeting together and rejoicing together, chatting together, talking together, consoling each other. Uh, Sunday was the day of the family. And perhaps the, 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 the loss of Sunday, the loss of the Lord's holy day is surely a big aspect in the, in the weakening of family life. So the third commandment, keep holy the Lord's day, is a law given to us by God. And it is something that is, for example, has kept the Israel, the, the, the Jewish people together for well over 3,000 years. It has given them that inner strength by bringing them together as families. Yes, uh, the weekend now, it's become the weekend as they call it, uh, it's seen very much as a time of rest and relaxation. And it is. It's meant to be that. It's the day of which God rested too. So it is a time for rest and relaxation. But also, and this is what I want to say, keep holy. It's also a time to worship. It's also a time to worship. Here is what uh, a number of years ago worried about the breakdown of the Sunday worship, the Sunday community, the Sunday coming together, the Sunday meeting of the family. Pope John Paul bought, brought out a letter called uh, Dies Domini, the Day of the Lord. And I'm quoting a few lines from it. The Pope, Pope St. John Paul wrote, Do not be afraid to give your time to Christ. So do not be afraid to give your time to Christ. Yes, let us open our time to Christ, that he may cast light upon it and give it direction, give direction to our time, to our lives. He is the one who knows the secret of time and the secret of eternity. And he gives us his day as an ever new gift of his love. 
So Sunday is a gift of God's love. How can we uh, take it so uh, loosely and so easily? And the Pope goes on, The rediscovery of this day is a grace which we must implore. So we must work. We must reconscientize ourselves. We must call to our people to really make this day a gift to God and a gift received from God. We must implore this grace of that day, not only so that we may live the demands of faith to the full, but also so that we may respond concretely to the deepest human yearnings. Time given to Christ is never time lost, the Pope says. So time given to Christ is never time lost, but is rather time gained, so that our relationships and indeed our whole life may become more profoundly human. So this is an appeal from the heart of the Pope, seeing the crucial importance of, uh, uh, of, the, of the Sunday. Uh, it is a celebration, first of all, of the Creator's work. It's a celebration of the gift of the world, of life, of our families, of our community, of our togetherness. In order to grasp fully the meaning of Sunday, we must reread the great story of creation and deepen our, our understanding of the theology of the Sabbath day. Now, the Pope then, he uses beautiful poetic language imagery to describe God's rest on the final day. You know, remember, on the seventh day, God rested. And the Pope goes on to think about that in a poetic but a very real way. He says, uh, God lingers. He lingers. That means he rests. Uh, he, he pauses. He looks with, he gazes with love. He lingers before what he has created. Looking upon, uh, looking upon it, looking upon creation with a gaze of joyous delight. You know, God has created something new. Here is a new relationship even for God. Here is a relationship of love. Here he can respect, here he has created people whom he has created because he loves them. Here he is meeting people whom he is expecting to love him in return and enter into a companionship and friendship of love. And this is what God does on the Sabbath day. He is created, he looks over the world and he's expecting a response of love. Uh, the Pope goes on to speak about God as the bridegroom, the husband. God as the bridegroom. And he's anticipating, you know, this relationship which he wants to establish with us. So God now is like a, a man who has asked the hand of a bride, uh, which is us. And uh, because he really and truly loves with all his heart that bride and he's expecting an answer. How can we miss then the Sunday Mass? How can we turn our back on God? So uh, Sunday then is the day par excellence of our relationship with God. Of course, we're related with God every day, but it is par excellence in, in a special way, the day of our relationship with God. It is a day of explicit prayer in which the relationship becomes an intense dialogue with God. Sunday is the day for remembering all the good that God has done. 
So Sunday is the day to do that. So I'm saying to that, dear people, I know you are very busy. I know we all can't be there every Sunday. We all, so many people work on shift work. Uh, sometimes there's no celebration for us on a Sunday, especially in poor and rural areas. Sometimes we're sick and unable to go. Sometimes something enormous happens in the family which demands our obligations. Yes, all these things do happen, but I'm speaking about normally let us make holy the Lord's day. It is also then the, 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 not only the day in which God contemplates with joy and love the world he has made. It is a, a gift from God. But it is also the day, Sunday, the Sunday is the day of the risen Lord and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So remember Easter Sunday, remember Pentecost Sunday, and these so therefore well, uh, on Sunday remember it is the day of the risen Lord, the day in which we go to meet Jesus, risen from the dead, present among us. During the week we are burdened, we're scattered, we're, we have so many things and uh, temptations, not only temptations, but uh, things that mm, put our minds off God during the week. So on that day, we meet the risen Lord and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So for us Christians, for all the major Christian churches, from the very beginning, the resurrection is the first day of the week. Uh, because it becomes the beginning of a new creation. You know, okay, God uh, created the world, but the resurrection is the new creation. Jesus has recreated the world. Uh, so it's the first day, if you like, of that new week. Sunday is also the eighth day. It's the eighth day, the unique uh, day without end. So it's a sort of a, a weekly Easter, a weekly Pentecost, where we relive the joyful encounter with the risen Lord and receive the life-giving breath of his Spirit. So Sunday is the day of faith. And no wonder, you know, when Sunday is crowded out with all kinds of political events, every political party seems to have all their meetings on a Sunday, so we never see them in church. Sports now is taking over so much of the Sunday. A Saturday night has exhausted people, especially the youth, so much that they have no time for God on Sunday morning. Uh, uh, seldom now are families coming together on the Sunday. Uh, a, a, a means God has given us to keep together as families. So uh, Sunday also is the day of the church, it's the day of the community, it's the day of the assembly. Um, it's not only, Sunday is not only remembering, oh, Easter happened on a Sunday a long time ago. It's not only that, it's much more than that. It is a celebration of the living presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of his own people. Now, there is a sentence that you could chew over for a long time, and I'll repeat it. It's not, as I say, uh, only the remembrance of something that happened a long time ago. No, 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 no. The, the heart of the meaning of Sunday, it is a celebration of the living presence now of the risen Lord in the midst of his own people. You know, how can our faith grow? How can our churches grow? How can our love for each other? How can our forgiveness for each other? How can our care for each other grow, grow unless we come together in the Lord? And Sunday is the day in which we do that and which the church has done that from the very beginning. 
uh, going to church on the Sabbath day is what the Jewish people do, is what the Old Testament does. But Christian people, we go on Sunday. And that's from the very beginning, from the time of the apostles. Um, uh, so therefore, uh, we must realize, as being baptized, we are not saved as individuals alone, but as members of the body of Christ, having become part of the people of God. So if we are to be a people, if we are to be a family, we must come together. Uh, the Eucharist is the fountainhead, the Pope says, of the church's life. It is the, the, the well of Samaria, where we go to meet Jesus, each one of us. It is the day of the church. Uh, it's, in other words, the day of the community in which we become a community. And you look at 2,000 years of Christian life and all over the world, the Catholic Church, but also the other churches, we have brought our people together on Sunday and that has made community. That has made, that has socialized our people. That has made our people one in their faith, in their expression of their faith, in their care for each other, in their listening to the word of God, in their enjoying the presence of Jesus and in receiving the Lord himself. It is a day, therefore, of hope, because seven days of the week are often days of despair. So it's a day of hope uh, where we listen to God's word and get closer to God. So these, so now the obligation of attending Mass on Sunday still is there. No, we mustn't take it too casual. We understand uh, people who have to work on a Sunday, people who are sick. Of course, you cannot come to Mass in those situations. We're talking about the normal situation where people can uh, uh, sometimes... Uh, but uh, And many wonderful... Bills. I used to, for a short time, I was priest in Manzim Toti. And during holiday time, so many people from the old so-called Gauteng Transvaal area would come down to the sea coast for Christmas, Easter, and maybe weekends. And you see so many of them in church, in a Manzim Toti, on a Sunday, making the effort while away visiting of going uh, to a church. So it's a day of the family. And I want to emphasize that. It's a day of the church. It's a day of rest. And rest is something sacred. If we do not rest, we'll soon lose our humanity. We become inhuman. We become impossible. So therefore, this world which emphasized success and money and security and so on, efficiency, uh, uh, it has a danger of killing the sacredness of the human person. And that sacredness is made up indeed of, uh, of being able to rest and be ourselves. So these are what I want to emphasize today. So to keep holy the Lord's day, it is to travel with God's family. It is, it is to experience being a part of the body of Christ, part of a community, part of a family which cares about each other. Your, your presence at church you know, you might fall asleep and the preacher is boring you to, to, to death. But at the same time, your presence there among your neighbors uh, is something that really gives joy to them, encourages them. They're not alone. You're, you're, your friends are around or their friends are around them. Those people who are suffering, who are having difficulty in their families, who are experiencing death and illness. They look around to see you there. They know you and you're someone they love and went to school with and grew up in the church with. Uh, uh, Sunday emphasized the importance of human rest, 
very important. Employers and everyone must know that. Uh, sometimes socialization of humanity. Uh, we should try and avoid work on that day. We should try, of course, uh, insofar it's up to ourselves to avoid work on that day. And it's a day in which to strengthen the family. So uh, I, let us keep holy the Lord's Day. As uh, we know, it is a gift given us by God. It is a day in which God awaits us. He who loves you awaits you on Sunday. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you as part of a family. He wants to unite you with your neighbours and those around you. He wants to share himself with you in his word, in his body and in his blood. And he wants to invite you. At the end of Mass, we are saita misa es, go out. We are sent out. Uh, on mission. We're sent out to do something for the Lord uh, uh, because we're given a new vision, a new zeal, a new love. So, dear priests, let us try and make the liturgy of Sunday something very special by our, our sermons, uh, by our preparation. And in many parishes, it's wonderful to see there are liturgical committees, wonderful people who try to enrich uh, the Sunday liturgy and to bring a unity into it, singing the right hymns for Lent, the right hymns for Advent, the right hymns maybe for the themes of the readings on Sunday, well-prepared readings so that the people can understand because as many of the Old Testament readings are maybe a little bit beyond people and so with a little bit of uh, uh, explanation they can be helped. Make it a joyful day and let us not run away immediately when Mass is over. Let us spend a little bit of time talking and chatting with our friends because uh, uh, we are a community and we care about each other. It's not just a question of something I have to do. It's a duty. It's a burden. It is not. It is the Lord is coming to meet you. It's a day the Lord has given you as a gift. And if you rest on it, you will become more human. And if you pray on it, you'll become more divine. And so let us listen now to our next uh, hymn, which is Litlutlo Libi Homodimo. Glory be to God. Welcome back. You're with Radio Veritas, the Catholic radio station. God bless you all. It's lovely to be with you now. As coming up, it's after quarter to five in the afternoon. Now, um, uh, on these Thursdays, I also want to speak to you in order that we should know our Bible that much better about some of the personalities, the great personalities in the Bible. And today I want to speak about Joseph. Now, remember, this is not Saint Joseph. Saint Joseph appears in the New Testament as the guardian of Jesus and Mary. We will come across him in another time. But we're speaking about Joseph who appears in the uh, first book of the Bible in Genesis. This Joseph lived uh, somewhere maybe perhaps 1,700 years before Jesus was born. Um, uh, you know, uh, every Lent time, and you hear during the year, we continually read it in the scriptures, you know how the children of Israel, how Israelites, the Israelite people, were saved by God, Moses as his servant, were led out of slavery from Egypt. But in speaking about Joseph, we're looking at how the Israelite people went down to Egypt. They were over 400 years in Egypt. So this Joseph I'm talking about lived maybe 400 years or so uh, before Moses. 
Moses. And it was through him that the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, went down to Egypt in the first place. So let us talk about this Joseph. You'll find him, you know, after chapter 40 in the book of Genesis. And the stories about Joseph are marvelous, wonderful stories in themselves. But as I'm saying, this is Joseph in the Old Testament, a patriarch, uh, you could say a grandson, let's call it like that, of Abraham. There was Abraham, his son was Isaac, and his son was Jacob, who was later called Israel. Jacob and Israel is the one person. And Jacob had, you know, 12 sons. The two youngest ones were the sons of his favorite wife, Rachel. He loved Rachel. And the two sons born of Rachel were this Joseph and Benjamin. To say someone is a Benjamin is to say he's the youngest of a family. So uh, Benjamin was the youngest of the sons of a Jacob. And Joseph also was his brother. They were from the same mother, uh, Rachel. Rachel died relatively young and uh, Jacob himself was very attached to his two youngest sons, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Now Joseph, in a special way, was a favourite of his father Jacob. And Jacob often gave him gifts. For example, he gave him a, a beautiful coloured coat. Now, this did not make uh, Joseph popular with the other sons. They saw they were filled with a bit of envy or jealousy. Uh, and he did not help himself because he used to boast. And he, ha he was a man who had many dreams and spent a lot of times interpreting dreams. For example, he saw a dream of a number of sheaves of wheat gathered around in a circle, and in the centre was a great sheaf of wheat, and all the others bowed down before the middle and great one. He saw himself as the great one, and he told his brother these dreams that they would, in a way, be subservient to him. And, of course, this made him even more jealous, more envious. Uh, so, therefore, one day when he was sent by the father, another thing, he didn't like doing the work of the others out with the flocks in the desert. But one day he was sent by his father to go down and see how his brothers were getting on. When they saw him coming, they grabbed him. They wanted to kill him at first, but then they sold him to some merchants who were on their way down to Egypt. So Joseph then was taken down as a rather young boy, taken down to be sold as a slave in Egypt. Fortunately for him, in a way, he was sold to one of the great officers of Pharaoh himself, Potiphar. So he was sold as a slave to one of the generals of Pharaoh's army. Joseph, it would seem, uh, when he worked for Pharaoh and worked for Pharaoh's general, he was an upright young man. He was a man who honoured God. He was a man who was under the protection of God. He was honest and he remembered God. Now, uh, complications arose for him here because Potiphar's wife, the general's wife, fell in love uh, secretly with Joseph and repeatedly wanted to have sex with him. Uh, and he refused uh, to have adultery with this woman. And one day she found him alone and demanded sex from him. And when he refused, she pulled the blanket that, that, that covered him off him and began to scream uh, to the servants, Come fast, this boy wants to rape me. 
And so Joseph was taken and put in prison. He was very lucky not to have been killed as a slave uh, for this uh, so-called offence. In jail, he met many uh, aristocratic prisoners. Among them was the butler, the man who would look after Pharaoh in some of his more intimate needs. And uh, this butler, and there was also other members there, uh, this butler had dreams. And Joseph was the one who was able to interpret the dreams. And he was able to tell the butler that because of a dream, the butler would be forgiven, uh, reconciled with Pharaoh, and would be returned to his great position. And that's what happened. Of course, the butler uh, promised Joseph that he would help him, but he forgot about him immediately when he went back to his uh, original state. He forgot about Joseph. But then, sometime later, Pharaoh himself had a dream. And in the dream, he saw seven magnificent fat cows. In Como, he saw seven good cows and he saw seven uh, lean, miserable-looking cows. And he asked everybody to interpret his dream about the seven rich cows, fat cows, and the, and the miserable cows, seven. And then, uh, then the butler remembered, yeah, no one here in Egypt is able to explain that dream. So he remembered, ah, when I was in prison, there was this Joseph, this slave, who used to interpret dreams so well. And so they called Joseph out of jail, and he interpreted, telling Pharaoh, what's going to happen is there's going to be seven years of plentiful harvests, plenty of food for everyone, followed by seven years of famine and misery. And uh, Pharaoh accepted that, and it was indeed to be the, interp- the right interpretation of the dream. Now, Pharaoh liked Joseph now so much that he made him administrator. You know, one of the chief ministers of all of Egypt, in charge of so many things in Egypt. Now, then, when the, uh, the years of famine came many years later, that the, the Joseph and or Jacob now back in Canaan with the, the, the 11 brothers who remained, Benjamin and the 10 others, uh, those who had sold poor Joseph into slavery, uh, they began to be hungry. And everyone knew that Egypt, because of Joseph's dream, because of Joseph's administration, there was plenty of food to be bought in Egypt. So Jacob sent his ten sons down to buy food down to Egypt. And when they went down there, they found it was Joseph who was in charge of affairs. They did not recognize him. They did not not expect him. They thought he was dead long ago because they had sold him as a slave. So they did not, but he recognized them. And so he started by putting them in jail. Perhaps he called them spies coming down maybe to tell our enemies how you can attack Egypt. So he put them in jail, perhaps a feeling of revenge to a certain extent. But they pleaded with him and he listened as they spoke among themselves. And he heard that they had a father, his own father, Jacob, back in Canaan, and the youngest brother, Benjamin, who was his real full brother, brother from the same mother, Rachel. Uh, And they also told him the other brother is no more. So he kept one of the brothers and sent the other ten back with food. 
to bring back the youngest son, his real brother. They, they, still, they did not recognize him. Uh, so then, the next time they came down for more food, they brought Benjamin, his real brother, with him. Now, uh, Joseph then again saw this, and he gave them all sacks filled with food. And in one sack, the sack of Benjamin, he put a valuable uh, chalice. And then when they set off for home, he sent his police after them, and they found this chalice, which Benjamin knew nothing about, hidden in his in the wheat bag. And so he arrested. Then uh, uh, Joseph then ordered them to be arrested again. And so they pleaded, uh, they pleaded, and they said, look, uh, do not keep Benjamin. Our father will die. He lost his other son from Rachel. If he loses Benjamin, he will, he will die suddenly. And Judah said, I will remain as a slave here until my brothers come back uh, with, uh, uh, with, 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 with the father. And so um, Joseph then uh, began to uh, feel, began, he was very touched by this stage. And now I'm going to read from chapter 45 of the book of Genesis, verse 1, how Joseph revealed himself uh, to his brothers. This is Genesis 45, verse 1. Now, uh, so now we've come to the point where Joseph has his brothers around him. They do not recognize him. He recognizes them. He's deeply touched by the presence of his real full brother, Benjamin, uh, to hear about his father being alive, being an old man back in Canaan. And now Joseph reveals himself to his brothers in a beautiful passage here in Genesis 45. I'm reading. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loud, loudly, he cried so loudly, that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh himself, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. 
and you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. So, this is a beautiful passage, 45 in Genesis, where Joseph now, after a number of years of hiding himself, or at least not revealing himself, the brothers did not recognize him, it couldn't be possible, and yet here he was, the brother they had sold as a slave. But you see the power of forgiveness. You see the power of of love, really. Uh, you see, you know, he could have destroyed them. He could have put them in jail. He was the lord of all of Egypt. But he forgave them. He forgave them. They were with him part of God's family. So this beautiful story uh, tells us, and then, of course, Joseph remained in Egypt. He had a large family. And also uh, Jacob came down. All the brothers settled in Egypt. And that is how the Israelites went down to Egypt in the first place. They will remain there for the best part of 430 years. And then, uh, because the pharaohs over that years will change, and a new pharaoh will come, he will oppress the Israelites, he says, these people are a danger, they're too powerful in our country, and so he will try to kill all the infant boys. And this is where we meet Moses and God's intervention to save and take the Israelites out of Egypt. So, the beautiful story of Joseph. Let's listen now, because we're going to talk next about uh, yesterday's great saint, Saint Anne and Saint Joachim. Uh, we we'll listen to uh, hymn number three, Ahe Anah. <laughs> 